Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. The easiest way to connect with us from right where you are is by downloading our free Real Life Community app from your app store. You can also find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for calling us into your presence this morning. Uh, We know that you've been with us throughout the week this week in the highs and the lows, uh, and um, yet, God, there's a special, um, there's a special time and sense of your presence here when we gather together in the sanctuary as your people, and so we thank you for calling us together. We thank you for the gift of your spirit that's here among us. Uh, We thank you for the the church family here and for all those who have come um, to be embraced here and to be a part. Uh, God, we pray that you would help us as we seek you, to know you, to know you more, uh, to learn of your love for us, to learn how to love you uh, more faithfully. And God, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us to spend walking through the life of Jesus. Um, We recognize him as our Lord and Savior and as the source of our life and forgiveness and uh, hope for eternity. And God, uh, we've just been so blessed to see the stories of his life, how he moves alongside of us, even in the middle of our brokenness, of our pain, our despair, our sin, and he embraces us and helps to move us closer to your heart and into your kingdom. And God, today, um, as we open up this famous parable about the Good Samaritan. Uh, We pray that as, even if it's familiar to us, even if we've heard it a thousand times, that you would bring it to life for us today. And that it would be a special time as we dive in that we might just get a sense that we're hearing straight from Jesus these words. And that the lesson that he was teaching would, would strike right at the center of our hearts and help us to learn to be good neighbors to one another. God, we love you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the praise that Amelia shared this morning, uh, how so many people rallied around the Bowens and uh, helped them out and were neighbors to them. And God, we, uh, we just thank you for that. We thank you for meeting all of our needs every day. Uh, we love you, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. amen. Okay, so... Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today. If you brought your Bibles or you want to pull out the Bible app on your phone, or if you want to go to the sermon notes section of the app, uh, there are all of the sermon notes with the scriptures, uh, right there in that. And so we want to encourage you to, to go check out one of those places so you can follow along. Cause we've got this parable of the good Samaritan today. And it's, uh, for a lot of us, a familiar one. Um, um, if you're not familiar with it, we're going to walk all the way through it, uh, verse by verse today. Uh, But I want 
wanted to start just by going back to that Mr. Rogers clip that we watched at the beginning of the service. Uh, man, Mr. Rogers is where it's at, right? If only they could only show Mr. Rogers on TV, the whole world would be a nicer place, I'm sure, and wear more sweaters, uh, but uh, sweater vest. But I, I had this sneaky suspicion that Mr. Rogers wasn't just making a children's program, that he knew something about what it means to love God as expressed in the love of your neighbor. Uh, and, and so I had this idea that, you know, Mr. Rogers was this ordained minister. And, uh, and my sense is that he had this like subversive plan to help us all learn how to faithfully love God by becoming good neighbors. I, I feel like he just kind of had that going on. And, and so one of the most famous passages in the scripture that talks about neighbors and what it means to be a neighbor or who is my neighbor is in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to be in verses 25 through 37 today. And here's how the story goes. So most of the story is a parable, but like a lot of Jesus' parables where he's telling a story to drive home a point or to illustrate some kind of truth, uh, a lot of them will start with a question that's posed to him. Jesus uh, very often would have these encounters with these religious law experts, the Pharisees or the Sadducees or some scribe or, or expert in the religious law of the day, and they'd come up to him and ask him a question. Now, uh, sometimes these questions were traps, you know, Jesus who should we pay taxes to, Caesar or, or, or you know, should we do that or not? And, and they would try and, and, and pin him down with some kind of answer that was going to get him in a lot of trouble and, and wipe him off the map because Jesus had this following of people was causing some, some trouble to the status quo in the day. So sometimes the questions were arrows and traps, but at other times there were people who were genuinely seeking to learn how to love and follow God in the world. And I think that that's what's going on here in this story. You've got this lawyer. In verse 25, it says, behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. Uh, it, it's one that I want to pause on for just a moment, because when we hear what should I do to inherit eternal life, a lot of us immediately translate that into our 21st century, uh, you know, American culture, evangelical culture, and we think eternal life, what must I do? And we translate it in our minds, what must I do to get to heaven, right? That's how we hear that kind of phrase. But for a Jewish person in Jesus' day, when they would ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It wasn't only about spending eternity with God after we die, that was a part of it, but it was also, what can I do to live a kingdom of God way of life in the here and now, in a way that honors God and then stretches into eternity, right? So God's eternal life, the kingdom of God life, is what Jesus is inviting all of the people that he's teaching into now, right? This life isn't just for something later on. It's how do I live the kind of life that God intended in the here and now? So Jesus said to him, he didn't just answer him because Jesus never just gives straight off answers. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus referring to the first five books, the books of Moses, the Torah, the, uh, you know, all of the laws that were written in, in there. So capital L law. And uh, how do you read it? And he answered, the Pharisee or the, the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, we've heard this before, haven't we? Uh, One time when Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? He gives the same answer. You love the Lord your God with everything you've got. And he gives a second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And so this lawyer, uh, Jesus asks him, what, how do you read the law? How do you interpret it? And the lawyer gives Jesus the same answer that he's been giving as well. And Jesus is like, Nailed it. A plus. Smiley face on you. Uh, Good job. 100%. Even extra credit because you threw in the second commandment as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says you have answered correctly. But then he says, do this and you will live. So a life of faith, a life in the kingdom of God, eternal kind of life isn't just about knowing what the law says. It's about doing what the law says, right? And so Jesus says, yes, you've answered correctly. You know the right answer. Now, if you want to experience this, do it. Put it into practice. And so you would think, okay, at this point, it's great. They agree. What's, what's the most commandment? This lawyer's coming. He's looking to know how to get the eternal life. Jesus has helped him, you know, learn that he already knows the answer. Now, you'd think he'd be like, thanks, Jesus. I'm heading out. But he's not done. He does what so many of us do, and maybe not all the time with a, a mean spirit or, or evil intent or something like that, but he wants to justify himself, the scripture says. In verse 29, it says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And that's the rub, right? Uh, I, I mean, this lawyer is he's coming, okay, I get it, love my neighbor as myself, love God with everything I am, but like, who is my neighbor? This lawyer wants to draw the boundary lines and know who am I responsible to love and who am I not responsible to love? Who falls outside of the boundary lines where they're just not a part of my deal uh, of the calling to love my neighbor as myself? This This debate was a raging debate in the days of Jesus. All the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, they talked about this all the time. It came from this uh, scripture in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But from the day that scripture was given, that law was given, to the day that Jesus and this guy, this lawyer were having this conversation, lots of things had changed. The neighborhood had changed several times over the years. In Leviticus, it wasn't just told to people, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but it was also explained what that meant. Well, that was a resident of Israel or a citizen of Israel. Those were your neighbors. Those were the people to love. So that was easy in the day that it was given, but over the generations, the land had changed hands several times. The people had moved in and out and been sent to exile and come back. And some of them had intermarried with other cultures and religions and and it had gotten blurry and fuzzy. And so they had these debates in the day. This was a common conversation that this lawyer would have had in the temple courts and things with all of the experts in the law. And everybody had an opinion. There were all these schools of thought. Some people thought that you should draw the boundary lines of who your neighbors were really, really wide. Other people were like, no, we only have a responsibility to, to good Jewish people who follow all the law and, and uh, a few strangers who happen to take up residence in our midst. So it's a common, um, common question. But he's wanting to justify himself here, wanting to draw the boundary lines. I, I got to be honest, I get it. I mean, how many of you have driven uh, off the interstate and somebody's been there on the side of the road with a sign and you've thought, am I responsible here? Uh, 
where does our boundary line begin and end? Is it our family? And, and that's where our neighborhood boundary ends? Is it like our next door neighbors? Is it our, our cul-de-sac, our street, our school district, our city, our one mile radius, uh, our, uh, our, our county, our state, our nation, our world? Are we responsible every time we see somebody's picture on TV? Let me take it one step further and Sarah McLaughlin is singing in the background. Like, are we responsible? Are you guys familiar with what I'm talking about here? Like, uh, I will remember you. Uh, like, you know, are we responsible in those moments to do something when we see a human need? The world is a very big place, but for us, it's gotten really small. You can see, do you guys ask these kinds of questions? Uh, yeah, like, like how many people, where is that responsibility? Where does it extend to? So he's asking Jesus this. Jesus doesn't land in any of the schools of thought of the day. Instead, he twists it up and he tells the parable. And here's how the parable starts. In verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. We're right in the thick of it, right off the bat in this parable. Uh, Jesus starts with this phrase, a man, but if you go back into the original languages, the Greek there is this word tis, means uh, certain. So Jesus isn't like uh, this person of this nationality or that nationality or this language or this religious background or this family. It's just a certain man. It's a, it's a particular way to be generic. It's a, Jesus is being generic on purpose here. He throws in that extra word, a man, a certain man. It could be anybody, right? So you listen to this. This is an important part here because this lawyer is asking, who is my neighbor? And Jesus starts off with this generic blanket statement about this guy who could be anybody. And he's going on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's this like straight downhill sea elevation kind of thing. It goes down 3,300 miles in elevation um, in, in 17 miles of distance, right? So it's the 17-mile journey. And Jerusalem, because it was such a center of trade where people were coming in and bringing things uh, and buying goods, uh, that there was always these, there were these routes and journeys, and this was one of them where robbers and thieves would just camp out and rob people all the time because they either had a lot of goods uh, or they had money from selling the goods. And so it was a, it was a hot spot for people to get jumped and mobbed and, and mugged. And, and this was this guy, this certain man goes and, and he's robbed and he's stripped. So if you could have identified him by his clothing style, that's gone. And then he's beaten so bad that he's half dead. So you've got to imagine that his face is bruised and bloody and swollen. And, and so you can't really tell from his facial expressions. And he's laying on the, on the, by the side of the road half dead. So he's not speaking either. So you can't pick up an accent. This is a guy who is totally unidentifiable. You've got to imagine this lawyer's like, ah, how am I supposed to know if this guy's a neighbor or not? Uh, there are no markers. There are no boundary lines. There are, there's nothing that to tell from the Levitical law whether or not I'm responsible to this guy. You, you catch the dilemma here already. Jesus goes on in the story. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. 
And when he saw him, and everybody holds their breath because it's a priest, it's the man who was respected, it's the, the religious leader in the day. We, we trust our pastors and priests to do the right thing. And, and the priest uh, comes by him, is going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, who was also way up there, a member of the priestly family, the Levitical uh, family, they knew the law. They knew the ins and outs of the law. They were the safeguard keepers of the law and the temple system and and all of the religious um, deals in, in Israel. And likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Here are two people who ought to know better, right? They ought to know better, and yet you gotta wonder what's going on in their minds here. The priest and the Levite come by, and they cross to the other side of the road. It's almost like they're hoping to justify themselves by keeping their distance. Well, I couldn't tell if I should have done something or not, because I couldn't tell if he was an Israelite or a resident. I mean, there was no way to tell. And besides, I'm late for worship or I'm late for dinner or I'm late for a haircut or whatever it is, you know, like uh, that, that they needed to get to. And so they pass by on the other side. Uh, this is a tough thing to hear as the lawyers listening, probably a whole crowd here is gathered around listening to this story. Uh, but they've, They've justified themselves by not getting close enough to know, to to see, to look into this person's face, to be close to the need. They maintain their distance by staying on the other side of the road. Now, at this point, uh, the lawyer's sitting there. He's very versed in these kinds of conversations and these kinds of stories. And Jesus has told this real common story. It's almost like the three guys walk into a bar kind of thing. You know, you know you've got the first two people and they're going to do one kind of thing. And then the punchline's on the end. But in this kind of story, it would go, the priest and the Levite do the wrong thing. And then, surprise, surprise, a good, ordinary Jewish person who's seeking to be faithful to the law of God comes along and does the right thing. That's what the lawyer and all the people who were listening would have expected for Jesus to be like, some good, fine person like you comes alongside and uh, you can identify with him, I'm sure, and, and he or she comes along and does the right thing. But here's what Jesus does. He says, but a Samaritan. And at that point, everybody's eyes are like, what? A Samaritan? And now for us, Murfreesboro, Tennesseans, we're like, what's the big deal? A Samaritan, what's what's that mean? The Samaritans and the Jewish people, though, were like really like, like oil and water, fought like cats and dogs in that day. The Samaritans to the Jewish people were like the people who didn't belong in Israel. They were the people who had some Jewish background. They knew the law, they, uh, but they constantly misinterpreted interpreted it, misapplied it, misunderstood it, and they had mixed their families together with all of the Gentile people in the northern area of Israel. And, and for the Jewish people in that day, it was a big no-no, and they had just all kinds of strife. So anytime Jesus had any interactions with Samaritans, the Samaritans were the people that if you were a good Jewish person, you went to the other side of the road when you passed them on the street. And so Jesus 
brings out the person who nobody expects to be a good neighbor and definitely, according to Leviticus or any other law, isn't a part of the neighborhood. We have no responsibility uh, to the Samaritans um, in that day. But Jesus starts with the Samaritan. Here's what the Samaritan does. As he journeyed, he came to where this half-dead, beaten, bloodied, naked man was laying on the side of the road. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He was moved in his, in his gut. Like this is where compassion rises up for us uh, when we see somebody in need as, as God's people. It, it stirs us somewhere deep inside of our being. And that kind of movement happens in that Samaritan's life. And instead of being moved to the other side of the road, he's moved with compassion and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back, bam, the lawyer's like, ah, Jesus, I knew, <laughs> there you go again, you know, twisting it up on me. But Jesus isn't even done yet because the real kicker comes next. So Jesus has just illustrated someone who has been a neighbor to the man who was on the side of the road, whether he knew if he fell inside of the technical boundary or not, he just chose to be a neighbor. And Jesus follows it up with this question that takes the whole debate that everybody was having in the day, this whole debate of who is my neighbor? Where's the boundary line? And everybody's having that debate and asking that question, who am I responsible to? And Jesus takes that question and he says, that's not the question that matters. Listen, this is where it all comes down to. That's not the question that matters where the boundary lines are. Instead, he flips the whole thing upside down. And he says, now, which of these three was a neighbor to that man? Do you see this? What Jesus does. It's a, little, it's a little subtle. It's a little tricky, but everybody else is like, who am I supposed to be a neighbor to? And Jesus is like, that's not the question. The question is, are you going to be a neighbor to someone else? You with me here? Does that make sense? At that point, the boundary lines don't matter because I'm the only one here that's got to make the, the answer to the question and be responsible. I've got to be responsible for who I am being when I come across a person who happens to be in desperate need. This is the question. Not am I responsible to that person, but what kind of person am I going to be when I come across it? Which of these three, Jesus says, was a neighbor to this man who proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer said, he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. He knows he's been had. He knows he's been taught a lesson here. Um, and it's hit home. Now, 
my sense is that this lawyer at this point would have been like, that was brilliant. You got me, Jesus. Uh, good job. And he would have been tempted to go back to the temple courts into the debates where everybody sat around and they had their high-minded theological and biblical conversations and discussions around or, or in the temple. And it would have been tempting for him who's been real comfortable in that kind of environment to go back into that environment and say, guys, uh, I got something new to talk about. There was this new teaching and it blew my mind and let's talk about this. You know, let's listen to the story that Jesus told. But Jesus cuts that kind of response off at the pass and he says, okay, so Jesus is asking him, who's been the neighbor? And the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. And what's Jesus' response? Go and do likewise. Go and do. The law of God that God gave us to bring life and goodness and wholeness and beauty and harmony between people and between us and God um, is pointless if it is not practiced. You with me here? And so go. And don't just talk about it. And don't just have wonderful conversations about it. But go and do it. Uh, here's an example. Um, there's a, we've been talking a lot about our one mile radius uh, around here in our neighborhood, right? Uh, we want to be good neighbors as a church to the people who live around the place where we worship. And uh, I found out early, uh, earlier this week that after the second service today, one of the, the groups, uh, our group life stuff that happens, one of our Wednesday night group here, decided we're all going to come to second service. So some of them are missing in first service here. They said, we're going to come to second service, and we're going to go to Camino next door, who are our neighbors, and give them some business. And then we're going to go out and just walk the streets of the neighborhoods around our building, and we're going to pray for the people who live in them. Um, just, you know, not knocking on doors, not being belligerent, not any of these kinds of things, but praying blessing over the people who live around here. Um, this is a great example of somebody saying, I don't want to just sit around and talk about it in a group. I want to go do it. I want to go do it. You and I, this week, will get several opportunities. There will be people who have needs uh, come alongside of us, people whose septic systems blow up and uh, people who uh, have, have an emotional need, people who need a, a listening ear. Somebody may need a physical resource and we will have opportunities. Maybe it's the person who lives next door to you. Maybe it's a stranger that you see on the street. And in that moment, my hope is that the question that runs through our mind is not, am I responsible to them? Are they in my circle? But the question is, how can I be a neighbor in this moment? And that you and I would go and do likewise. See, I think Mr. Rogers had it. Uh, he knew what he's doing because the whole time the song wasn't, who is my neighbor? It was, he was asking us, will you be my neighbor? See, he was trying to get us to live in the flow the whole time. Will you be a neighbor? Will you be a neighbor? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for being with us, for giving us this lesson. God, we pray that it wouldn't just become mental furniture in our brains somewhere, uh, something that we can talk about for a few hours this afternoon, but that it would
be a lesson that transforms the way we actually live. Every one of us, God, can grow and have room for development in this area of learning to be a better neighbor to those around us, especially to those in desperate need. And so, God, would you give us the compassion of the Samaritan, the grace, the resources that we might need to help, and would you help us live in this open-handed, generous way towards those around us, uh, regardless of boundary lines. We love you, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and the good teacher. Everybody said, amen.